When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. Have you ever thought about this? What is your aquarium idea based upon or inspired by? A big old body of water, some sort of meandering flowing habitat, or just a more static body of water? When you think about it, we tend to model our aquariums off of only a few types of aquatic features found in nature. I'm willing to bet that they're typically lakes, rivers, and streams. We as a group should be giving a little bit more mental energy to thinking about these habitats. There's more than just meets the eye and, you know, oh, it's a stream, it's a river, whatever. It's only been recently that I really gave more than a passing thought to what goes on down there in nature, especially in streams. It's a lot more interesting when you examine the subject more closely, especially from the perspective of how these structures came to be and what implications they have for fish populations, you know, cool stuff like that. Now, sure, you know my obsession with varying substrate compositions and enhancements of the substrate. You've likely seen my recent work with different materials like leaves, botanicals, clays, and sediments that I've shared with you here and elsewhere. It's an idea I just haven't been able to get away from. The physical composition of the substrate materials is just one of the fascinating aspects of these diverse aquatic systems. There's a lot more going on down there than meets the eye. When you take into account just how these habitats came into existence and what processes created and sustained them, the dynamic gets really interesting. Stream and river bottom composition is affected by various things like regional weather, current, geology, or the surrounding terrestrial ecosystem, and a host of other factors, all of which could make planning your next aquarium even more interesting if you take them into consideration. And there's that whole dynamic of water movement. Like, what role does it play uh, in determining the ecology of a given stream and how will it recruit life forms to reside in it? Well, for one thing, it's helpful to go back to the substrate again and to consider its relationship to water movement. It's important to note that the volume of water entering the stream and the depth of the channels it carves out helps in part determine the amount and size of sediment particles that can be carried along and thus comprise the substrate. And of course, the composition of bottom materials and the depth of the channel are always changing in response to the flow in a given stream, affecting the composition and ecology in all kinds of different ways. For example, some features like leaf litter beds form in what stream ecologists call meanders, which are stream structures that form when moving water in a stream erodes the outer banks and widens its valley, and the inner part of the river has less energy and deposits silt, or in our instance, leaves in that one place. Materials which fall from the surrounding trees and other vegetation accumulate in these meanders, creating interesting ecological features which are compelling themes for your next biotope aquarium. There's a whole fascinating science to river and stream structure, and with so many implications for understanding how these structures and mechanisms affect fish population, occurrence, behavior, and ecology, it's well worth studying them for aquarium interpretation. Did you get the part where I mentioned that the lower energy parts of watercourses tend to accumulate leaves and sediments and stuff? Likely you did. I mean, that's the really fascinating part to me. Permanent streams will often have different volume and material composition, usually finely packed sands and gravels with lots of smooth stones, than the intermittent streams, which are more likely the result of inundation caused by rain and so forth, and have things like sediments and sands. 
So-called ephemeral streams typically occur only immediately after rain events, which means they usually don't have fish in them unless they're washed into them from a more permanent water course. The latter two stream types are typically more affected by leaves, botanical debris, branches, and other materials than the more permanent ones. In the Amazon region, and you knew I was going to go back there, right? It sort of works both ways, with the streams influencing the surrounding land and then the land giving some of the materials back to the streams. The extensive lowland areas bordering the river and its tributaries, known as varzeas or floodplains, are subject to annual floodings, which helps foster the environments and the enrichment of the aquatic environment. You might even say that rivers and streams are like nature's sediment sorting machines as they move debris, geologic materials, and botanicals along their courses. And along the way, varying ecological communities are assembled, with all sorts of different fishes being attracted to different niches. Although many streams derive their food base from leaves and organic matter, there's a lot of other material that's present that contributes to its structure. Think along those lines when scheming your next aquarium. It's known by science that leaf litter and the community of aquatic animals that it hosts, according to one study, are of great importance in assimilating energy from the primary forest production into the blackwater aquatic system. It also functions as a means to preserve the nutrients that would be lost to the forest, which would inevitably occur if all the material which fell into the streams was simply washed away downstream. The fishes, the crustaceans, and the insects that live in the leaf litter and feed on the fungi, detritus, and decomposing leaves themselves are very important to the overall habitat. As we've talked about before briefly, another interesting thing about leaf litter beds is that they actually have structure and even longevity. In several studies I've read on the subject, the accumulations of uh, leaves in various streams are documented to have existed in the same positions for years, to the point where scientists actually have studied them you know, repeatedly over very extended periods of time. And the banks of streams, they're an entirely different feature that we're only now starting to appreciate as aquarists. These features are ripe for replication. I mean, many of their attributes fall into line with the work that we as botanical style aquarists play with anyway. Of course, I think we need to look beyond just the cool looks of the natural habitats where our fishes you know, come from and focus on the attributes which comprise the function. We need to understand why fishes are attracted to certain habitats and apply these lessons into our aquariums. The streams of the world are just a starting point for us to explore in our quest to create more realistic, functionally aesthetic aquariums that will provide enjoyment, education, and inspiration for others. Who's down with the idea of focusing on this habitat? I hope you are. Stay inspired, stay excited, stay creative, stay resourceful, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks so much for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.